Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. At this time, six hours later, um, in Ireland, let's give them a hand. They're in Ireland watching. Come on. Hope you guys are having a great time. We'll see you next week. But uh, we've got a, 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 a sizable amount of online um, audience and watch us every week. And obviously, when our people travel, um, they try their best to catch our, our services online so they can keep up with what we're talking about. And so we're just delighted that we have that tool. Amen? Um, I know Vicki and I have used this tool when we were on vacation. Um, to have church be with you, even though we're somewhere else in the United States or the world. So um, we're glad to have that available to us. Now, we, if you're new to Metro Believers Church, we're in the middle of what we call the story, all right? And the story is sort of an abridged or shortened version of the Bible just to give us context, to help us understand the major components of Scripture. Um, it's, not, it's not the whole Bible, it's just, you know, sort of shortened so that we can catch it as a story, read it as a story, rather than just bits and pieces of different chapters um, to give us context. And so uh, we've been doing that since the beginning of the year, and we'll close out the year with this. And so uh, today is week 14, and so we're making our, our way through the entire book called The Story. And so today... We have uh, another one, another person giving their testimony or, or their story. See, what we've been talking about is God's story, our story, and my story, okay? So those three things exist for all of us. God's story, our story together combined, and then my story. And so each week we've been um, asking someone to share their story about what God has done in their life. And Doug, come on up here, Doug Ott. He's a, a quiet, diligent helper around here. Come on up here. And uh, he's just a blessing to our church. Go ahead and share your story. Do you want to use this or are you okay? All right. You can feel like a pastor. It feels good. <laughs> um, I want to wish everyone a very good, good morning. My story is I lived in my, all love my life in the state of Wisconsin. I was one of five kids in a family. I am a person who likes to help people. I'm a quiet guy with an analytical mind. I was a three-sport athlete growing up. There are two moments in my life that kind of tells, tells, tells me, tells what has driven me through life so far. In sixth grade, a teacher asked the kids, what would you do with $5,000? All of them said they would spend the money, but I said I would give it away to help pe people. The second moment is when my mom asked me in high school what I wanted to do after high school, and I said to have a wife. During my child and teen years, I went to Lutheran school. I went through Sunday school and even wore the white gown to light the altar can candles. I went to church, sat, li listened to the sermons, and music, but really did not understand what it all meant. But as I got older, I started to miss some church on Sundays because I was playing sports. 
After school, my weekends became filled with playing sports and social activities. My mom would always ask if I would attend church with her, but I started to become what they call a holiday church goer. Then in my 20s, my dad was battling a medical condition. It got so bad that he almost passed away in, in the hospital. I felt so helpless that I could not do anything. I did not pray or ask God for help or guidance. I used my analytical mind to find another way to help. So I went back to school for a year, became an emergency medical technician. I worked this job for seven years and enjoyed helping all pe people. I also worked in an emergency room for, of a hospital on the weekends for two years. Since I was either working or playing sports, going to church and thinking of God had fa vanished. I started to use my mind more than anything. I just did not see what was ha happening. In my 30s, I took a different job. I was looking at trying to start my own family by this time. I dated some, relationships would not work out. Now it was my mom's turn to go through a medical issue. A medical test went bad, and one of her lungs collapsed. She eventually developed pneumonia and was put into a coma for a month as they tried to help her. I would stop up to see her. I would actually, this time, instead of using my brain, I actually prayed to God to help her she would eventually leave the hospital. During my years, being in my 40s was the toughest, most hurtful, unsettling, and ending in the happiest of times. It started when I was 41. My mom was taken to the hospital, and eight hours later, she passed away to God. Then six months later, the girl who I was in a relationship with slept with another guy. So another relationship ended and I started to not believe in myself anymore. I asked myself, what was I doing wrong? I thought that I would not fulfill my dream and have a fa fa family. Again, I did not turn to God. I made up my mind to move to Madison because I did not want the reminders of what happened the last two years. My friends were there for me in my time of need, but I did not look to God when I should have. Because of this, my friend's way of helping me was getting me back out in the social world, which meant going to the bars and having drinks. We would go out once a week after work, but then it led to twice a week on Wednesdays. I would always have too much to drink on that night. Now I knew I was drinking too much, so I decided to buy a house and even got myself a dog. I thought this would keep me at home more. But I did not. I was looking for ha happiness in the wrong place and was not happy about myself and had low self-esteem. Next came the biggest moment of all. On my 47th birthday, after a night of drink drinking at 2 a.m. in the morning on a clear night, I was standing on my deck. I could not take it anymore. I looked up at the sky and pleaded, please help me. A week late later, a friend was having his usual ga game night. I was not going to go, but at the last minute, I decided to go. Something inside of me said to go. When I got there, there weren't many people, and it only had one woman show up. To keep it short, I asked this woman out a couple weeks later, and we started to see each other. On Saturday, I asked her what we wanted to do on Sunday. She said she was going to church and asked me if I wanted to go. That was 10 years ago that I first came to MBC. This is when I came back to God. And as you can guess, this Christian woman, this is my wife, Barb. I keep thanking God every day for hearing me that night on the deck. Uh, Barb was also having a tough time in her own life at that time, and I truly believe God saved two people with one mir miracle. I, do, I did, did not pray before, I do now. I no longer go to bars, I go to small groups.
I've changed so much since I walked in the NBC. Barb and I talk how God has blessed us. I think God brought us together for this reason. God has brought me my family. God bless. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> wow. So, wow, what a testimony. I remember when they told me they were engaged and wanted to get married. That's uh, 10 years? What the heck? You're making me feel old. Hey. <laughs> Man. It happens all the time around here. Somebody, I'll be thinking, you know, they've been here two or three years, and they'll talk about eight, ten. You know, I'll, what happened? You know. So at any rate, we're glad. Hey, some of you introverts say I couldn't get up there and give my testimony. Obviously, Doug is an introvert, and uh, you can do it, right? You can do it. And so we still have some places for you. We'd love to hear from some of the millennials. <clears throat> Jessica signed up, but some of the other millennials. Uh, not mentioning any names, just looking at them, right? A bunch of them. They're all over. Some of them aren't here today, but, but yeah, I'd love to hear some of the millennials' stories. Um, come on. You can do it. And, and most of them are extroverts. Yeah. I mean, come on. And so we have a young marriage group at our house um, during the, the small group semester, and, and we've got tons of them. Um, if they're all there, I think we have like 26 or whatever, 28, and uh, they just need to get on the stick here, right? So at any rate, uh, if you don't have one of our outlines, please slip up your hands and our ushers will get you. have one of our outlines. These outlines are printed for your sake. They're fill in the blank, and all the verses that I'll cover, for the most part, will be in there. And so you can take them home and study them more. You know, don't stop growing when you leave church on Sunday morning, Amen. We all need to grow continuously. And as I said before, you know, the story, in, during the story, we're really not just learning historical truth. We're actually learning life lessons to live by today. And I want you to catch that because if you're not careful, you think, oh, oh this is just history and what does it have to do with my life? And I got to go to work for crying out loud. Would you just say something that I can, you can use this. And so um, these are life lessons um, in the Bible for a reason to show us some good things that, that pays great dividends and some bad things you want to avoid, okay? And we're going to find that out today in, in this story. And so um, good movies have impact, don't they? I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but there's certain movies in my lifetime that has really stood out to me that really said something into my life and made a difference. And um, like for, for example, one of them would be Chariots of Fire. How many of you ever remembered that, that movie? Um, the line that, you know, I believe God made me for a purpose. I believe God made me to run fast, okay? Um, that was one of those lines. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey um, kind of messed up a little bit and got his eyes you know, off the right things, and then, of course, you know, was accused of stealing money and all that kind of stuff, um, and then he felt like his life, you know, had not made a difference, and he wanted to kill himself, and so he found out that the difference, even though he thought that he didn't make a difference in his life, the difference, if he hadn't been there, was remarkable, and 
That really touched my life. Another one, another movie, man, okay? And I don't think I need to say anything more about that movie <laughs> as a man, okay? <laughs> Everyone wants to be William Wallace, right? And so movies, movies have uh, a way of impacting our lives. And, and when, they, when they critique movies, they critique movies, there are six categories that they consider. Uh, the categories are setting, character, point of view, plot with conflict, resolution, and the theme. And so today, we're going to look at our message, the story. Um, we're going to approach it as if we were um, considering these six categories, okay? Um, and we're going to use that as, as a context to help us understand the background and so on and so forth, the characters. And, and before we get into our points today, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. For example, um, the movie title of today's uh, movie is A Kingdom Torn in Two, okay? The setting, um, going through those six categories, the setting, so let me set it for you, the setting here. So God has established the nation of Israel from scratch. Remember back around Moses' time, okay? And so uh, he intended to use Israel to reveal himself and his plan to provide a way for his people to come back or return in relationship with him that was lost because of Adam and Eve's decision, okay? So that was this part of the setting. And then Israel has grown and is under the reign of their third king, Solomon. There was three kings, and you have those three kings right up here, Saul, David, and Solomon, right around 1000 BC, okay? So you have Solomon, now, Solomon gets in trouble after just some amazing things that happened early on where he asked for wisdom instead of wealth and fame. Um, Solomon gets in trouble because he starts taxing and discouraging the people by overworking them and being harsh to build his kingdom, okay? Um, and then, of course, he started marrying. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so, you know, he started marrying all these foreign women partly to, to build his kingdom, okay? And it just got him in trouble. Solomon's heart gets divided, and he's ruling unwisely and overtaxing people and uh, forcing them into hard labor. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon dies, you know, so he's done, he dies, and his son Rehoboam, everyone say Rehoboam, Rehoboam takes over the throne, okay? So that's the setting, that's the backdrop, if you will, of the of, the characters, the, the characters, the main characters of our story here today is Rehoboam and Jeroboam. So, you know, you get the sense that naming your kid with Boam at the end was a really cool thing to do back then. <laughs> and uh, turn to someone and, and introduce yourself to them with Boam at the end. Go ahead. Just turn to someone. All right. So, like, like, I'm Glenn Boam, right? <laughs> Patty, Patty Boam, right? Bill Boehm, Kathy Boehm, right? <laughs> Sue Boehm, Mike Boehm. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it was just a common thing back then. So the, the third point of critiquing a movie is um, your point of view. It's the point of view. And in the Bible, there are two storylines going on at the same time. There's the upper story that we've talked about, and then there's the lower story. So the upper story is this big, beautiful story of God's grand plan to get us back. In the upper story is God's point of view, okay? 
Now, then we have the lower story. The lower story is from our point of view. Upper story, God's point of view. Lower story, our point of view. The stuff that happens in our lives on a regular basis. We're going to see the story of Rehoboam unfold horizontally as our vantage point, or from our, our vantage point. Next, number four is the plot. Everyone say the plot. The plot thickens, right? And so every good story or movie, there's a plot. It's like the three movies I just mentioned, okay? There's a plot. Typically, there's conflict in the plot, and then typically, everything comes out in the end, right? <laughs> um, and so um, in every good story, there's a plot and a conflict. Later, in just a little bit, we're going to see how Rehoboam, um, in his unwise decisions to ignore the counsel of his advisors, this created division. Now, everyone say the word division. This is the most important word I want you to hear today, division, okay? Because that's really what this message is about, is the division that occurs in every one of our lives and needs to be dealt with. Um, because this, you'll see the division here in this story, in the movie we're talking about, see? You'll see this division, um, how, how heartbreaking it was to see um, the division. And so we're going to see Rehoboam's unwise decision to ignore the counsel of his wise sages. And this created the division or conflict, and it split the nation of Israel, okay? Split the nation of Israel. Fifth, we have the resolution, resolution is after the conflict or the plot takes place, the resolution that God orchestrated in the upper story is a division of the nations of Israel. So God said something's got to change here or you're going to kill each other. So, and then and the sixth area is um, what we call the theme of the movie, okay? The theme. Now, the theme of our movie today is fatal errors. Everyone say that. Fatal errors. You may want to write that word down. Fatal errors. Because this is a sequence, if you will, of fatal errors. Now, in military aviation, they say this phrase, which is interesting, the accident already occurred. We're just waiting for the plane to arrive at the crash site. Yeah. The accident already occurred because of fatal, fatal errors. The accident really already occurred. We're just waiting for the plane to arrive at the crash site. Wow. It's interesting. So that where there's an accident, it's an indicator that a fatal error has been made miles earlier. Did you hear me? And that's the problem. You know, we don't sometimes put two and two together. We do all this garbage and we create all this strife and division and discord and, and we don't see any immediate responses maybe. We commit these fatal errors and we don't see an immediate response, but later you see the crash site, okay? And that's kind of the theme here that we're going to see. Um, basically, the, the, the whole fatal error thing. You have to ask yourself the question today. Am I committing some fatal errors? In other words, has the, has the plane already been diagnosed to go to a crash site? And if so, how can I interrupt that, that whole idea, okay? So, now back in Kings 2, 
uh, or 11, uh, we see this fatal error that, that, that caused the crash of the nation, nation of Israel. But it's not Jeroboam's fault or error, okay? It's Solomon's. It's, uh, in other words, this fatal error happened back when, when Solomon was still alive. It's Solomon's. He was the pilot. Put, put this in your mind as an image. He was the politicians that guaranteed the crash of the nation of Israel. But it would take the nation of Israel. But it would take years after Solomon had already ejected from the aircraft before the crash would occur. And that's what you have to catch today is that, that you know, you may be in a situation where you're making bad decisions and, and you're setting yourself up for destruction, you know, later on that you're going to regret. And so God wants to teach us all how to overcome that, how to see how division happens and how to actually make mid-course adjustments in our lives so we don't end up in a fatal crash, fatal errors. Solomon, Solomon um, it really shows us that we don't use people to build our authority. We use our authority to help build people. Did you catch that? I mean, look at that, look at that slide up there. Solomon shows us that we don't use people to build our authority because that's what he did. But we use our authority to build people. How many of you think that's better? All right. Are you with me? <laughs> so I want everybody just to stand up real quick um, and just turn to somebody. If, if you're uncomfortable with this, don't do it, okay? I don't want to make anybody. Just turn to somebody, hopefully not your spouse, uh, and tell them about one movie in your lifetime that impacted you and why in one minute, okay? Go. You each have one minute, so we have two minutes for this exercise. One minute. Come on. You guys out there watching, turn to somebody and tell them one movie that impacted your life and why. Okay, you only have one minute left. One minute left, yeah. Hurry up. Thirty seconds. Fifteen. If you're done, you can sit down. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. If you didn't finish, you can finish after church, okay? All right, so, um, yeah, I mean, that. just think about those movies and, and how they impacted. Well, this is where we're sort of framing this up today as a movie, and how, how that movie impacts you is really um, of significance. And so, uh, raise your hand if you ever heard about the, the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. 
Raise your hand if you ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah. So these families feuded um, from 1863 to 1901. That was a period of about 38 years that it was super, super intense. And you know what caused that feuding to start? The first recorded incident came in 1863 when Aza McCoy was returning from fighting in the Civil War and was murdered. And one of the Hatfields was blamed for it, although it was later discovered he was home sick in bed and couldn't have done it, okay? So this feud between the Hatfields and McCoys started over an untruth. Yeah. And so um, this whole feud started over something that just simply wasn't true. And how many, how many arguments and fights in our lives start over something that really isn't that true? It's true. And so um, the second recorded um, incident of violence uh, be- took place between, uh, or about 13 years later, it was a disp- dispute over the ownership of a hog, okay? And so that hog was important. How many of you know that? And so today we're going to look at the story of Israel and its division and um, put it together, like I said, in a movie format. Now, chapter 14 of the story, that's where we're at today, could easily be entitled, the Hatfields and the McCoys of the Old Testament. <laughs> you know, instead of the kingdom torn in two, we could have named it the Hatfields and the McCoys of the Old Testament. In this chapter, um, the nation of Israel is divided. And let me tell you how it all came down. Jeroboam hears Jeroboam, you know, is a guy that is aspiring, um, and you'll find out that later. Um, he, he, he hears that uh, they made Rehoboam the king, which was Solomon's son, right? So he leads, or he heads to Egypt, um, to Israel for the inauguration, and really to see if Rehoboam is going to be different than his dad. He wants to check it out because he told him to seek some counsel. And so Rehoboam is given um, some sage advice from his elders in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 7. Let's look at that. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 7. So it says, if you will, this is the the sage advice of the elders. If you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. In other words, they'll be a part of the team. They're not going to go anywhere, you know. In other words, treat them right. You know, take care of them. Don't, Don't, you know, force them into hard labor just to build your kingdom, okay? Make some changes here is what the elders said. But Rehoboam rejects, everyone say rejects. He, he rejects their advice, and then he goes to some of his homies, okay? So some of the guys he grew up with, um, you know, buddies from the street, um, you know, they probably got in trouble together and did stupid things like we all do when we're young and dumb, okay? So uh, he, goes to, he goes to his friends, and in 1 Kings 12, 10, verse 10 through 12, it says, the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, this is their advice, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. (laughs) Picture that. (laughs) My father laid out, or laid on you a heavy yoke, I'll make it even what? I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with what? Scorpions. In other words, you think you've had it rough before, 
I got something to tell you. So at this point, it's at this point, uh, the nation of Israel divides, okay? Out of the 12 tribes um, that we found out um, a few weeks ago, 12 tribes of Israel, only those in the towns of Judah stayed with Rehoboam, and the rest, the other ones, 10 tribes actually uh, ended up going to the north. 10 tribes went to the north, and in that area it was called the nation of Israel to the north. Now, um, you can see that. Kingdom divides at 930 B.C., and then you have, um, out of that, you see the, the, the north, which is called Israel, the nation of the north, or Israel, and then the nation of the south, which is Judah. So you have Judah and Israel split. Um, the north has 10 tribes that goes with them, and the south has two tribes, okay? So you have, you have uh, um, Simeon, the tribe of Simeon that blended in with Judah to make the nation of Judah to the south and the 12 tribes that form the nation of Israel to the north, okay? So that divided. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to see how um, they began to fall. So 930, then you go to 722, and then 586, and then um, you'll have the return in 538 BC, and then, then we'll have 400 years of silence. In other words, it just seems like God disappeared, <laughs> and he, there's nothing happening on the earth, really. And then, of course, Jesus shows up, and we'll get to his birth um, right around Labor Day in September. So um, the idea, the idea is you'll see, you'll see the the the, the, the whole line of division still actually happening when Jesus is on the planet. You'll see Samaria and how he, instead of avoiding Samaria, and I'll talk about that in a minute, he goes through it <laughs> and uh, brings reconciliation, obviously, with the women at the well. And so division, everyone say division. Division is a nasty place to live. It's horrible. It, it, churn, it churns our stomachs. It boils our blood. It, it robs our joy. It sours us. Division and discord and conflict. And you don't want that to get in your heart because it's so destructive. I mean, it ruins weddings. I, I can't tell you how many weddings I've done um, where there's division in the family and it's been going on for years and I have to play referee, <laughs> you know, seriously. I got to make sure I don't, you know, put the wrong people with, you know, the right people with the wrong people or whatever, you know. And that they don't sit close to each other. And I got to make sure everything's all right and there's nobody punching each other out, you know, kind of a stuff. That's where my bouncer days come in. <laughs> I got to play the bouncer, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, it ruins weddings. It undermines church, the church's witness in a city, it dashes hopes and dreams, it crushes our spirits, and it really hurts our children. And that's what division does. And so division is a nasty place to live. Amen? And that's what I want you, you to get a, in terms of a takeaway out of this message today. That's, it's not worth it. It's not, I know it's easy to just write people off and you know, just decide I'm right, they're wrong, I'm done, okay? And go about your merry way, but generally speaking, you're going to find out it has some bad consequences along life's way. Matter of fact, Jesus said it in Luke chapter 11, verse 17. 
He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And there's so many outside forces that threaten our unity and stability in our families and in our personal lives, but they can be overcome with the unity of the house. Did you hear me? So in other words, there's all kinds of things that come at us, but when you have a real solidarity and a unity of the house, you can overcome that stuff. You don't let it in, right? But once a house once a house is divided on the inside, in other words, you start fighting within each other, you know, it's a matter of time before it crumbles. It's only a matter of time before it, it comes apart and the wheels fall off. So what can we do to avoid division in our house? What can we do? Four life lessons. Here we go. Four life lessons of what you can learn from Israel to take home with you today that you can apply this afternoon or at work tomorrow. Number one, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. I mean, it's pretty easy to see the rookie mistake that Rehoboam made, right? I mean, he rejects the advice of the elders, and he embraces the advice of his, his peers and his young guys that grew up with him. Let me just say this. If all you listen to is people your own age, you're not taking advantage of a lot of wisdom around you, especially for our, our younger guys and gals today. You, and I love, that's what I love about our, our young marrieds. You know, they come and they, they're, they're there and they want to learn and grow. And, and they're listening to a couple of old people like Vicki and I. Right? And, uh, <laughs> and I've heard them say, we want to tap into the wisdom that you guys have after being married 42 years. So we just celebrated our 42nd anniversary on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, you're, 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 in other words, you're cutting yourself short, right? When you don't listen to anybody except your peers and those your same age. And, you know, people have, you know, people have a lot of life experiences. And they can help you avoid some pitfalls if you'll pay attention and listen to people. And, you know, it's important who you listen to. How many of you know that? It's important what you fill your life with. You know, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so you want to make sure that you surround yourself with not just people that will tell you what you want to hear, but will challenge you from time to time and speak something that's life that you had never thought about. And, and when you don't understand how important that is, you'll, you'll short-circuit yourself. You'll, short, you'll shorten yourself, okay? You've got to be aware of this. And um, because Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, you need people around you that can see something in your life and will tell you the truth, Right? And, and, you know, oftentimes, I mean, he was just made king, right? So do you think his homies are going to tell him something they don't want to hear? You know, he could put them on the chopping block. So, so you know, they're, they're, not, they're, going to, they're going to say everything he wants to hear. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I love hearing what I want to hear, you know? <laughs> I love it when somebody tells me how good this was or how good that was. And, you know, you just want to feel that, that, that acceptance and 
affirmed, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's times when I need to, I, mean, I need to know the truth, and I need somebody that loves me enough to tell me the truth. Come on. Amen? My wife loves me enough to tell me the truth a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so number two, I'm going to run out of time here. <laughs> number two, division is seldom one-sided. Own your part. Okay? Own your part. I mean, at first, Rehoboam appears to be completely in the wrong. I mean, it's all his fault, Rehoboam, right? All his fault. He's, he's the jerk here. If he hadn't done what he'd done, you know, this whole thing would have worked out in the kingdom of Israel, would not have been divided, you know. But when you get down deep into the story, you find out that Jeroboam also played a part. As a matter of fact, first, before this whole thing came down with Rehoboam, Jeroboam, um, before Rehoboam did that, Jeroboam is told by a prophet that he would be king one day. And he takes matters into his own hand and makes a move to take the kingdom from Solomon. Rehoboam's dead. That attempt failed because it was outside of the timing of God, and it caused him to flee to Egypt. So when he came from Egypt for the inauguration, he had fled to Egypt because he tried to take over the kingdom from Solomon. How many of you know there are two sides to every story? Are you here with me? There's two sides to every story. And so, you know, after he gets what he wants, Jeroboam, we learn that he, he keeps the ten tribes from going back to Jerusalem, in other words, going back to Jerusalem to the south to worship God. So he offered sacrifices and he made two golden calves. Does that sound familiar? Huh? Sound familiar? Remember way back in Moses and Joshua and the whole deal back then? Yeah, he made two golden calves and set them up for the people to worship and offer sacrifices to. So God sends a prophet to Jeroboam to confront him. And he says, he says, uh, Jeroboam, change your ways. And even after this, the prophet comes to him and tells him that directly, Jeroboam didn't. And we see, we see later on in the story, Jeroboam and his downfall, his ultimate downfall. At, listen, after being married for 42 years now and being in the, in the ministry for 36 years, 38 years, um, I've only had a handful of times probably where I've seen that conflict was one-sided, completely one-sided. Most of the time, both parties have played a part. Now, it may be 80-20, 90-10, 60-40, but how many of you know there's two sides of the story? Own, own your part. Because 1 John 1-9 says, if you will confess your sin, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, own your part. Number three, division Division has a generational effect. A ge think of the Hatfields and the McCoys. It had a generational effect. I mean, think about how it destroyed them 
And I don't know if you know this or not, but in 2004, the Hatfields and McCoys and 60 members of their family got together and signed a truce. <laughs> so there would be no more conflict. In other words, they wanted to be reconciled to one another's family. And I think God wants to speak a word into your heart that maybe you need to be reconciled to someone's family. We certainly see the Hatfields and McCoys in this unlikely squabble between Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the rippling through the family for generations. We see that, and you'll see, you know, all the way through the fall of both the north and the south, you'll see the wars and the fighting and the death and the destruction. First Kings 14.30, you'll see um, there was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. First Corinthians, or, or First Kings 15, there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam through Abijah's lifetime. And you see it again in First Kings 15. So the ripple effect goes throughout life. It, it affects all kinds of people in your life when you allow division and discord to so enter into your life. I'm not talking about a simple squabble that you get over in a day or two. I'm talking about serious, like, like serious division and discord over one or both parties being super selfish. I mean, that's what, at the base of things, that's what it is. I mean, we're talking about Jeroboam that was so selfish, he wanted to, uh, you know, out um, Solomon and take over his kingdom. And then you see, you know, Je uh, Rehoboam in, 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 inherits the kingdom. And, you know, he starts to, the, the power starts to go to his head and he gets even stricter and harsher. Pride is a big issue here, guys, in selfishness. Everyone say pride and selfishness. Watch out. Watch out if you get promoted and you're, you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of, you know, let it go to your head. Before you know it, you're making stupid decisions that cause division that will last a generation. Amen? And you don't want that, right? You don't want that. Listen, um, the last one that we'll talk about today, because our time is about up, is um, this all happens as a result of getting your focus off God in the it's the root cause. Getting your focus off God is the root cause. A family, a church, a nation that stays close to God puts up the biggest wall of protection around themselves to preserve their unity. Did you hear me? Listen, the single greatest thing that I can do preserve the unity of this church as your pastor is to walk closely with and humbly before God. Did you hear me? The, the, the single greatest thing I can do is to walk closely and humbly before God for you as a, as a pastor. Single greatest thing I can do as a husband for you husbands out there is to walk closely and humbly before God. The single greatest thing you can do as a father, as a dad, dads, listen to me, is to walk closely um, and humbly with God. It's just true. I mean, that's, what, that's where all of this started from, from them getting their eyes off God. It's the root cause. And we have, this, we have this sort of cyclical thing that happens in our lives as Christians. And, you know, sometimes we're on the mountaintop, <laughs> and then sometimes we hit that roller coaster slide to the bottom in the valley. 
and, and we, you know, we get our eyes off God, like Doug was talking about in his testimony. We get our eyes off God, and we start making poor decisions. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes Christianity can be boring. I don't know if you know that by now. If you've been walking with the Lord, sometimes you get in a rut. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to church today. What am I going to get? You know, uh, 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 you know. And you can say, well, that's boring. I mean, give me something that I haven't heard before. There's nothing new under the sun. If you're going to go by, you know, us tickling your ears and making you feel good and, you know, making your day, then you're probably in the wrong church. But if you want to come here and learn and grow and be touched, you're going to have to apply yourself. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to get real, get serious, see? about your relationship with God and, and thank God that you have a safe place to come and people that love you and care about you and, and miss you when you're not here. So that's, that's really what the body of, of Christ is all about. And so the greatest thing we can all do together is to stay close to God, come to church, worship together, hug one another's neck, enjoy getting together in small groups and just getting together times and and grow closer together. Build new friendships that will last a lifetime. Amen? So, that's the application today. It's in your notes. I won't go over it all. Um, but think about the ripple effect of your decisions. I think they'll make a difference in your life, both good and bad. It doesn't have to all be bad. It can be great. When you make great decisions, there's a ripple effect. When you make bad decisions, it can create such division like you have never seen before. Let's stand. Pastoral team's going to be on the, the outskirts um, of the auditorium. If you'd like prayer today before you leave, they're here to agree with you in an area of your life. I just want you to bow your heads for a second and just allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and uh, to ask yourself, is there some things in my life, divisional things, things that I've done, things that I've said, estrangements, strange situations from someone that you've let a wedge come in between you and them that you know is not good or healthy? And you'd say, you know what, would you pray for me today? I, I know I need to deal with that somehow, some way. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you all over. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. See, God doesn't want you to have to carry that for the rest of your life. And the fruit of it, he doesn't want you to carry the fruit of it for the rest of your lives. So he wants that to be dealt with and healed. And so you can enjoy just some freedom. We talked about freedom in worship. You can enjoy some of that freedom by letting things go and dealing with them, and getting to the root cause and trying to... The Bible says that, that, that as far as it de depends on you, live at peace with all men. In other words, there's times that they're, they're not going to want peace with you, and you have to let it go. That's, that's God's business. But as far as it lies within you, live at peace with all men. Father, I pray for those who lifted up their hand today. Just raised their hand and said, God, I, I, I sense you stirring my heart. 
I know you've got a plan for me, and I, I don't want to in any way cause that to be anything less than you intended. So, Lord, I pray for those that lifted their hands. Would you help them deal with some of the issues that they know is happening in their heart? Would you help them? Would you give them strength and courage and words and the timing of all of that? So they can mend and mend some relationships and repent if necessary. Ask for forgiveness. Be humble so it doesn't have it all figured out. It doesn't have it all figured out. It just wants relationships to be whole. God, we don't want division in our families. We don't want division in this church. When there's division, there's every evil work, and we don't want that. So, God, we pray right now that you would bring unity. Because there, in that place of unity, you can pour out your blessing. And so, Father, I pray that you'll just minister to everyone that lifted their hand today as we worship you in our closing song. In Jesus' name. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 5744.